0: Unveiling the secrets A-list copywriters use to make themselves and their clients millions. This is the Copywriter's Podcast with your host, the world's greatest copywriting coach, David Garfinkel. Welcome back to the Copywriter's Podcast with your host, David Garfinkel, the world's greatest copywriting coach. David, how are you doing, man? Nathan, I'm good. How are you? I'm good. It's just after 4th of July as we are recording this episode and I had a great 4th of July weekend and I'm glad to be back on the mic with you.
1: Yeah me too. Same here. All right so what do we got lined
0: up for this
1: week's episode? All right let me start with a question. When you are a copywriter do you look at the world differently from other people? Uh, Old master Clyde Bedell emphatically says yes. Clyde Bedell is not all that well-known these days. We featured his work last year in an episode where we talked about seven keys to believability. Mm -hmm. And though he's not all that well-known today, decades ago, Bedell was one of the top guys you would turn to if you wanted to learn how to write copy that works. Besides being a highly successful advertiser, he was also a prominent teacher. For example, He built a national sales training program for Ford Motor Company in the 1930s. When he was teaching at Northwestern University, teaching copywriting, he couldn't find a suitable textbook, so he wrote one, and that textbook eventually turned into how to write advertising that sells. This was in 1940. It was 13 years before I was born. The book is eight and a half by 11, and a massive 539 pages. It's pretty hard to find a copy these days, but I did find one for sale on Amazon for $956.62. Lucky for me, I got my copy years ago when it was easier to get and not quite as expensive. Today, we're going to look at a chapter from this massive book called Copies Point of View. It covers Key points on how copywriters need to look at the world if they want their copy to convert. The only thing about Bedell's book that might be a shortcoming is there was information I couldn't find anywhere in it. Information that lets you know that copy is powerful. You're responsible for how you use what you hear on this podcast. And most of the time, common sense is all you need. But... If you make extreme claims and or if you're writing copy for offers in highly regulated industries like health, finance, and business opportunity, you may want to get a legal review after you write and before you start using your copy. My larger clients do this all the time. So Nathan, we should start with the understanding that we're not going to talk about how a copywriter sees the world 24-7, at least not necessarily. It's not that you have a completely different way of eating breakfast or buying shoes or dealing with annoying relatives. This is about how you look at things when you're writing copy. So I saw an interesting meme on Twitter, and it was quoting Gary Bent Savanga. It quoted him as saying, copywriting is not a secret formula. It's a way of thinking. That way of thinking is what this show's about. Okay, there are four big parts Clyde Bedell talks about the copy point of view in this chapter and let's get to the first one. First, the universal appeal is self-interest now last week we had a list copywriter Mike Pavlish on to talk about copywriting that works with women prospects and he pointed out that women are motivated by different appeals than men specifically that men tend to think more of themselves when they buy more often than not, and women tend to think of others, particularly family, when they buy. So if we're going to accept this idea, and I certainly do, then how does this apply to the way copywriters think, Big picture? That is, do women not buy based on self-interest? No, I think they do. It's just the context in which they see self-interest on the whole, for the most part, that is strikingly different than the way men see it. Women tend to think of their own self-interest in the context of those they are in personal relationships with, far more than men do. I found an old ad that illustrates this idea briefly. And the ad was in a great book by James Twitchell called 20 Ads That Shook the World.
0: Hmm.
1: Okay, this ad is interesting and, frankly, it's quite offensive. About the ad, Twitchell writes, Has there ever been an ad so deliriously nasty as this? Like a baby robin, the youngster looks up to her caregiver for tenderness and gets a whiff of foul breath instead. The body copy makes it clear that this is yet another case of, quote, young woman who, despite her personal charm and beauty, never seemed to hold men friends, unquote. As it turns out, this woman has bad breath and the young girl has no problem telling her. Awkward. Here's some copy from this pretty aggressive ad from around 1920. In quotes, in the headline, if you want the truth, go to a child. The ad continues, as the old saying and the old saying is certainly true, isn't it? Here's a case of a young woman who, in spite of her personal charm and beauty, never seemed to hold men friends. It was a tragic puzzle in her life. Then one day, her little niece told her, dot, 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 you yourself rarely know when you have halitosis, unpleasant breath. That's the insidious thing about it, and even your best friends won't tell you. Okay, we'll stop with the copy there you couldn't run an ad like this today. You'd be canceled from so many directions, you wouldn't know what hit you. But let's get past that for a moment and look at the appeal. This is self-interest in a most interesting way. The woman has a problem, but she doesn't know why. The problem has to do with relationships. It is a relative, a very young one, who identifies the problem for her. And the solution is, wait for it, Oh, you want to guess what the solution is,
0: Nathan? I was thinking maybe it's a tic-tac.
1: Yeah, well, it's a tic-tac of the 1920s, Listerine, mm. the now famous mouthwash. So while the context was relationships, and in one case a family member, the appeal was still definitely self-interest. And in the greater scheme of things, what is self-interest? Finding the answer to that question for each individual promotion is the copywriter's eternal quest. It depends always on the prospect and their life circumstances. That's why you really need to know your market to zero in on the best answers to test. But a good place to start is with four very powerful lists copywriter and copywriting educator Vic Schwab offers in his great book, How to Write a Good Advertisement. Here are a few of the top ones. People want improved health people want to be better parents, people like to acquire or collect things, people want to save time, people want to be popular. There are about 35 more. And remember, these are just starting points. Research and testing, what you come up with is going to help you nail down the specific self-interest that is most appealing to your prospect for any given promotion. Schwab's lists are so powerful. We did a four-part series on them a couple years ago called What Your Prospects Most Want to Know. You can find them by searching inside copywriterspodcast.com or looking for them on YouTube. So stepping back now of all the parts that Bidell was talking about in this chapter, copy's point of view, I'd say that self-interest is the most important one. Nathan, mm-hmm. what say you?
0: We have in the past critiqued some of the views of Ayn Rand. And even though I'm a big fan of a lot of her philosophy, one thing that I always felt like she didn't quite understand was what self-interest actually meant because it means different things to different people. It's not just a blanket statement about human nature. And this perfectly describes how you have to know who you're talking to in order to make an appeal to self-interest actually resonate.
1: Yeah, I I would agree. Unfortunately, when you start to do stuff too much by formula and you take it uh, away from the specific and the the personal, you run the risk of missing the mark by Mm -hmm. a wide berth. How's that for a lot of cliches in one sentence? That's pretty (laughs) good. Okay. So let's go to number two part of the copywriter's point of view. A few days ago, i gotten into an interesting conversation on Twitter with a marketer who was trying to understand why some advice he got wasn't working. So the advice was from his designer, who was jumping up and down, telling the marketer to only use fonts with serifs, like Times, Roman, or Georgia. Now, you know, serifs are the little things that stick out the bottom of the lowercase letters, like I and M, and the top of letters, like lowercase H. I guess uppercase H2. By the way, almost all type on the web is sans serif, usually Arial or Helvetica. The typefaces with no little thing sticking out at the top or the bottom of the letters, sans serif typefaces. So this guy I was talking to on Twitter said he did massive, statistically significant tests pitting serif against sans serif. And he got zero difference in response. Zero. And he was wondering why his designer had been so insistent. Okay, so I don't know the designer and I can't say for sure, but here's my hunch. The designer's belief was a carryover from print days. That is, before there was much advertising on the internet, almost all advertising was done in publications and with direct mail. Tests at the time found that in publications, serif fonts looked most like the serif fonts in the articles themselves. And because people were used to reading the articles, they would read the ads that looked most like articles and use the same fonts and respond to them in greater numbers. In direct mail letters, people were most used to reading personal and business letters. And the typewriter font that made up the letters that were typed, of course not handwritten letters, was what looked most familiar to readers. And thus they would get better response. So the designer wasn't entirely wrong just wrong year and wrong medium. The same rules that applied to print advertising don't apply to online advertising in this case. There are a number of reasons for that, but the bottom line is the designer had not kept up with the Times. Except maybe the New York Times, which is so stubborn, it still uses a serif font on its web edition. But it is the exception, not the rule. So that's one example of why you need to stay current. But to be a successful copywriter, you've got to keep up with all the relevant changes. And that means keeping your eyes open to the world around you. You know what a listicle is, Nathan?
0: Yep, the top five reasons why you should never eat this on an airplane.
1: Yeah, or, or any article that's really just a list of things. Hey, let me ask you something. How would you like a complete copywriting course packed into a $10 Kindle book? Yeah? Then let me invite you to try Breakthrough Copywriting. It's only $10 and it's available now on Amazon as a Kindle. Breakthrough Copywriting was originally a $5,000 live seminar I held in Las Vegas. People flew in from all over the world to attend Breakthrough Copywriting. This Kindle book by the same name is a complete version of my four presentations at the seminar. If you would like to dig into copywriting basics or refresh the knowledge you already have, then you'll really like Breakthrough Copywriting. A-listers like John Carlton, Joe Sugarman, and Bob Bly give this book an A+, and you can read the reviews right on the Amazon site. This episode of the Copywriters Podcast is sponsored by Breakthrough Copywriting. Check this book out at Amazon.com today. And now, back to the Copywriter's Podcast program, already in progress. I saw a listicle recently about things people my age, you know, boomers, okay, boomers, should stop doing. I think it was written by a general Zer who had recently discovered all the truths in the world. The article, (laughs) yeah, the article said that boomers should stop buying and using bar soap you don't know this is what a bar of soap looks like and only buy liquid soap you know this kind of stuff and a friend of mine who works at target told me that the younger people are not buying bar soap anymore but they now only buy liquid soaps the listicle didn't give a reason to stop buying bar soap maybe it was that the writer thought it was old-fashioned or i don't know maybe they thought it didn't work as well as maybe it's bad for the environment. I really don't know why. But this is important knowledge for me or any other copywriter to have. Not the reason why, but the fact that people are not using one kind of soap or another. I mean, if you were to talk about something about, you know, say, three inches by two inches by one inch, and you said, you know, the same size as a bar of soap, a lot of people would either consider that old fashioned or obsolete or not know what you're talking about. And your copy will lose a huge amount of credibility. If you are playing by yesterday's rules, even more if you are playing by yesterday's rules and don't know it. In his book, Bedell quotes Claude Hopkins from my life in advertising, saying this, the most effective thing I've ever found in advertising is the trend of the crowd. We go with the crowd. That's the point. With direct response copy, you can only lead the crowd in the direction they're already going. Your experience
0: like that? Yeah. And I would just like to say, I don't know if it's because I'm reaching almost boomer status or if just the rapid advancement in the everyday world, but... I'm so fortunate that I have a teenage daughter to keep me up on all the new words that people are using and all the new social media platforms and all. Man, I would be so lost without her. (laughs) Yeah, I do not know what the word mid means. They're using that word a lot. Have you heard it? I work in the cannabis industry, so yeah, mids is a word that gets thrown around a lot or mid. What does it mean? It means mid-grade. It means less than desirable.
1: Ah, thank you. I'm I'm still a boomer. I can't change that, but I can learn <laughs> a few things. All right, let's go to part number three. People are emotional. Duh. But this one's trickier than it sounds. What it means is people respond to copy that stirs the emotions in them, but not necessarily to emotional language itself. We could look at a lot of examples for modern copy. But since this is an Old Masters series episode, let's look at some copy from the original Old Master himself, Claude Hopkins. A little background before we get into the story. Claude Hopkins was a copywriter who put his money where his typewriter was. When he took on the Pepsodent toothpaste account, he bought a share in the company for $13,000. From that investment he received over time, $200,000 $200,000 in dividends and eventually sold what he paid $13,000 for, for $500,000. Sounds like crypto, right? Hmm. In, the 19, in the 1920s, Pepsodent was a decent product with a bad advertising and poor sales. By the time Hopkins worked his magic on it, the brand was number one in toothpaste and stayed that way up until the 1950s. So how does People Are Emotional fit into all of this? Check out a few paragraphs of copy from one of his ads. The headline is, Magic Lies in Pretty Teeth. Remove that film. What film, you might ask? Hopkins steps up right away to tell you. Why will any woman in these days have dingy film on teeth? There is a way to end it. Millions of people employ it. You can see results in glistening teeth everywhere you look. This is to offer you a 10-day test to show you how to beautify the teeth. Film is cloudy. Film is that viscous coat you feel. It clings to the teeth, enters crevices, and stays. When left, it forms the basis of tartar. Teeth look discolored, more or less. But film does more. It causes most tooth troubles. It holds food substances which ferment and form acid. It holds the acid content in contact with the teeth to cause delay. Germs breed by the millions with it. They, with tartar, are the chief cause of pyorrhea. Okay, let's stop there. Enough. What is pyorrhea, by the way? It's inflammatory gum disease. Not fun. You could argue that this copy is very factual and scientific, and I would agree with you. However, the important thing here is that the prospect reading this ad is not likely to read it objectively. It comes across as a terrifying warning about all kinds of problems with teeth and gums. And the irresistible offer of a free 10-day tube of Pepsodent to prevent or cure all these problems is nearly irresistible. And that is how Claude Hopkins took Pepsodent to the number one spot in toothpaste. He knew that people are emotional, but they are more trusting of emotions brought about by a series of facts rather than emotional statements. Mm. That's why he was so successful. As a copywriter yourself, once you've done your research, you could be tempted to lay out an impressive series of facts and state a list of valuable product features in your copy. But that by itself is not enough. You need to present your information in such a way as to stir an emotional reaction in your prospect. Hmm. Emotion is what motivates people to buy. Some logical facts later to prove your claims can seal in the desire by justifying it on the part of your prospect. But emotion needs to lead the mind and heart of your prospect because it is emotion that motivates.
0: Hmm. I think about copywriting on product design and packaging, and a lot of times the emotional appeal is on the front, the person with the sexy abs or the kids having fun playing outside during the summer or whatever the desired emotional state is on the front of the package. And then you flip it around and it's got all of the tech specs, uh, 40 inches by 48 inches or made of high quality, durable, whatever. It's the same thing. It's the emotions leading and then the justification with the logical facts following. But I like what you explained is combining them together and using the logic to drive the emotion instead of separating them. That was a kind of an aha moment for me.
1: Yeah. And and I, I also like the model of the package with the emotion on the front. It's, it's a great metaphor as well as an actual thing. <laughs> cool. All right. The fourth part, big part, is called get down to the individual. And let's start this part of the copywriter's point of view with some ideas from Hollywood, because Hollywood has a strong and successful track record of taking big ideas and presenting them through a message about the individual. I saw the great actor Harrison Ford the other day on Chris Wallace's interview show on CNN. Ford is a strong and angry advocate for fighting against the destructive effects of climate change. When Wallace asked him how to get more people on his side, he used the words human scale, meaning the more you can reduce a global issue to something involving individuals, the more successful you will be in your messaging. Another example, Mario Puzo, author of The Godfather, gave Michael Corleone an important speech in which he expresses the sentiment about human scale in fairly unforgettable terms. So before he goes off on a mission to kill someone, Michael says the following to Tom Hagen, the godfather's lawyer and consigliere. Tom, don't let anyone kid you. It's all personal, every bit of business. They call it business, okay, but it's personal as hell. You know where I learned that from? The Don, my old man, the Godfather." If a bolt of lightning hit a friend of his, the old man would take it personal. He took my going into the Marines personal. That's what makes him great, the great Don. He takes everything personal. Like God, he knows every feather that falls from the tail of the sparrow, or however the hell it goes, right? So two very different examples of a key principle, human scale. It's personal. And when it's personal, it's human scale, it makes an impact. Now, the human mind can certainly grasp large concepts and understand big numbers, but copywriters know that statistics and abstractions don't have a fraction of the emotional impact of a story about an individual or thinking of or addressing the prospect in your copy not as a market or some faceless avatar, but as a living, breathing human being. So that's the fourth part of the copywriter's point of view. Follow the crowd for trends, for sure. But when you're writing, you want to get down to the individual.
0: Yeah. So again, it's not an either or. It's a combination of the both. We want to use logic and we want to use emotions. We want to know where the crowd is going, but we also want to be able to reach out and directly communicate with the individual inside of that crowd.
1: Yeah, it's like a paradox. It's like the more you can think of a specific person, even one you know, and talk directly to them, the more it feels like it was directed just to the prospect, even though they're, they're an entirely different person. I don't know why that is, but I I see that repeatedly, and I've experienced that many times too. All right, so, so let's wrap up. We've got the big four from the copywriter's perspective. First, the most universal appeal is self-interest. But remember to frame self-interest in the same way your prospect does. Second, you need to keep up with your market. When things change and you don't, you risk not connecting with your market. Once they conclude you're out of touch or too old-fashioned, you might lose any chance of making a sale. Third, copywriters understand that people are emotional and arguments that that touch their feelings are much more likely to succeed based on arguments that come across strictly as neutral, logical facts. And finally, the copywriter's mindset emphasizes the individual. You're writing to one person. You're describing things in a human scale. Not all the time, but most of the time. So Bedell, the author Bedell, has some other parts of the copywriter's mindset we haven't gotten into because there's only so much time. And in my opinion, These are important, but not nearly as important as the other ones. One of these is that people are gregarious. We're social animals. Introverted copywriters tend to overlook this, but it's a fact. Another is to keep your marketer, the business owner and the business, mostly in the background. People are more interested in themselves and when they're in buying mode than they are in the person or company who created the product and all the trials and tribulations they went through to bring the product to market. So that's it for now.
0: Any final thoughts before we wrap? I'm just going to add one thing. The last point that you were talking about, speaking to the human crowd, but trying to get down to the individual. One very common mistake that I see, especially new copywriters make or business owners that are trying to write their own copy, is getting caught up in the fact that they're using one-to-many broadcasting like emails or social media and so they start off their messages with hey y'all or hey everybody and training yourself to catch when you do that and you're writing as if you're talking to a crowd, stop and make sure that you go back and edit that stuff back to, to hey, and then the person's first name or just not include the crowd at all. When people feel like you're talking directly to them, they're gonna pay attention. When people feel like you're talking to a crowd because you are talking to a crowd, they're gonna tune you out and not feel like the message is specifically for them.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I know people love your copy, Nathan, but I can't imagine at a party someone says, hey, everybody, we just got an email from Nathan. Let's all get together and read it.
0: (laughs) Exactly. They're reading it by themselves, so you want to make sure that you're writing to them individually. Yeah. All right, Really really good point. This was a fantastic episode, man. Well, thank you. Yeah, I, I enjoyed it. I'm glad you did, too. I did too. And if you listening enjoyed the episode, make sure that you head over to copywriterspodcast.com. You can get more episodes there. And while you're there, subscribe on your favorite podcast app. And until next time, we will catch you later. Catch you later.
1: Hey, did you enjoy today's show? Want to help get it into the ears of more listeners? Be sure to subscribe, rate, and review on your favorite podcast app. This is the Copy and Funnels Podcast Network.